But what I do like about Christmas is that we get to take time to be with our friends, our family, and to remember the Christmas story, why Christ was born. So open up with me to Luke chapter 1, starting with me in verse 26. I hope that everyone has had a blessed day and that you continue to have a blessed day. Parents, I hope that you didn't go into debt and try to make your kids happy. And when that credit card comes, it's going to be a tough day. I pray you didn't do that. If you did, repent now and learn from your mistakes. And if you're looking for Christmas ideas next year, just put under the Christmas tree a card and have them, when they get up in the morning, open it. And then you can say in that card, all next year, there will be free food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There will be a bedroom provided for you, hot water, and a trip back and forth to a place of education and some clothes. Amen. Merry Christmas. You're welcome. All right. So if you have more than that, you're blessed. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And if you have more than that, you should be sharing. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you. Open up with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Christ is born. Christ is king. Amen. That's the title of that, the message and on my shirt today. So I'm trying to make it easy to remember this message. Christ is born. Christ is king. He came in a manger. Next time he's coming as a roaring lion from Zion. Amen. Luke chapter 1 verse 26 tells us the Christmas story. I hope that many of you are already familiar with it. If you're not and you're our visitor here today, we pray that this blesses you. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and this is John the Baptist's mom, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledge to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was what? Mary, thank you. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Look at your neighbor and greet them that way today. Say, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Amen. That should be a greeting for all Christians at all times. Greeting one another with the blessing of the Lord. The Lord is with us. How many know God is with us? Amen. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, because how many know if an angel comes and starts hanging out with you, that might trouble you? So Mary's a little bit troubled here and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Why is an angel here? And of course, uh, in that time, they might think you only meet an angel when you die. Am I going to die? Am I going to be judged? What's happening here? But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, Yeshua in the Hebrew, which means Yahweh saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. Somebody say, never end. Amen. Now let's pause here and just understand the Christmas story. What is this all about? Why do we as Christians celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ? Well, as you can see from the story here, the birth of Jesus Christ is not according to the natural way of having children. 
This is not Mary's way of getting out of a one-night stand she had with one of Joseph's friends. That has actually been proposed not just by comedians as a joke, but by historians. People have tried to say it really wasn't a virgin birth. It was simply Mary being naughty, maybe with one of Joseph's friends, cheating on Joseph, and then trying to convince Joseph, oh, I'm not pregnant by any person. This is God's doing. And people even to this day have tried to say that about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What a wicked blasphemy. This is not that story. This is not the story of a woman who is illicit or having sex outside of marriage trying to cover up bad behavior. This is a divine visitation to a young lady who was pure and was a virgin. Somebody say virgin. Virgin is not a bad word. All young ladies in this church should achieve the goal of being married as a virgin. And all men should achieve that same goal. That should be goals, not what followers you can get on Instagram, not how you do your makeup or your contouring. Come on, ladies. The goal for every young lady and for every young man should be to marry as a virgin, to be like Mary. She is blessed. She is holy. She is part of a culture that was set apart from the world. Even in our culture today, as they teach children about sex education in hopes that they can be brought into the agenda of their perversion, we see that the Bible stands at a stark difference. It's a contrast. And it was the same back then. They were pagans. They were unholy. Some of them were pedophiles, as sick as that may sound. It was true to that time period. And yet she was a virgin. Some may say a virgin. Amen. And notice what, she, what is said about her, that she is highly favored, that she is blessed, and that the Lord is with her. There are often two ditches that people come into and fall into when it comes to Mary. There is the ditch of Roman Catholicism that wants to say because Mary was blessed and because she had such a great task of bearing Jesus, that she herself must have been born sinless. That is called the Immaculate Conception. And that she then must have never sinned for her whole life to be the bearer of the nature of God coming in the flesh. And she must have been taken up to heaven, which they call the ascension of the Virgin Mary. All of these dogmas about Mary are a ditch and are incorrect and are not found in the scripture. Do you see them there? Does it say that Mary never sinned? Does it say that Mary never had sexual relationships with her husband? That that from this point on, she would remain a perpetual virgin in a marriage. How many know that'd be a sad marriage for Joseph? Don't get quiet on me now. I said, wouldn't that be a sad marriage for Joseph? If you're going to be single, if you're going to be celibate, stay single. Don't be celibate in a marriage. That's, that's quite a, a, a curse to put upon somebody, okay? And the Bible even forbids that behavior. Even for piety, it says in a marriage, if you want to abstain from sex in piety for a season, for prayer and fasting, only do it for a little while because it's not good for that to continue on. And we know where celibacy has led the Roman Catholic priesthood and has become a dangerous breeding ground for those sins that we have mentioned before. But... 
the Virgin Mary shouldn't be in that ditch, but at the same time, she shouldn't be on the other side of the ditch, where sometimes we as Protestants look at Mary as just our homegirl. She's a girl that we can relate to. She's like Jenny from around the block. She's a cool cat. You know, she's been chosen by God because she's hip and cool, and you know what? I want to be Mary's friend. And then we degrade Mary to someone that might be relatable in a sense, in our culture, to someone that had a low standard, easy just to get along with because she didn't have any moral standards. No, we need to not have her in that ditch either. We need to see her as someone that was special, someone that was holy, someone that was chosen by God, and someone that we can all aspire to be like. That's why we can say the title, Blessed are you, Virgin Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mary. We thank God for her precious life. She is not someone that we idolize and need to tell fantasies about, nor is she someone that we should degrade and try to say she was just like us. She wasn't just like us if you lost your virginity before you were uh, married. Can I hear an amen? Now, if you've lost your virginity, now you're a Christian and you're not married yet, you can be a born-again virgin. Amen? And if someone took it from you and they're an abuser, that doesn't count. And remember, that's why there's a hell. Amen? So abusers, you need to repent before you go to hell. But listen to me. Mary fits right there in the truth of Scripture as someone who is favored and is blessed. The second thing that we learn about is that Jesus is going to be in Mary's womb as a child. And so when we think about Christmas and we say Jesus' birthday, most people when they hear birthday and they connect it to Jesus, they think that means when he was created that this would be true of all of us, so that must be true of Jesus. Did you exist before your birthday? Well, in your womb, in the womb you did, but before you were conceived, did you exist? No. Okay. Let me be clear. We have a lot of Bible students here, because that's why we're pro-life, because you do exist in the womb. Amen? So technically, before your birth from the womb, you exist in the womb. So let me now ask that again, once again. Are any human beings able to exist pre-conception? No. And conception is what happened when mommies and daddies get together, young people, okay? Amen. Not pretend mommies and daddies, not two daddies, not two mommies. This Bible is teaching us how it works. Amen? So when mommies and daddies get together, one mom, one dad, let's be clear there, there's a baby, okay? Now, what do we notice about this? that the Holy Spirit is going to do the conceiving. The Holy Spirit is going to put in her the seed whereby this conception can happen. This is going to be a miracle. In other words, Joseph is not going to provide the seed through the natural means in Mary's womb with her egg. This is going to come by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a good time to bring up what some have said. This is spiritual rape. Some say God raped Mary. Now, these are disgusting thoughts, are they not? But they're good that you learn them in church first so you can have the antidote when they come against you from the foul people of this world, not only from the skeptic on the streets, but also from modern scholars. They say, here is this precious young lady, and now God comes to her, granting the context of the story that it's not a myth that she's telling because she had a bad one-night stand with one of Joseph's friends. So giving credit to the story, they'll say, Christians, we agree with you. There was a Mary. There is a God. But notice how this God behaves. God comes and tells her, I'm going to fondle 
you. I'm going to do this to you, and this is what's going to happen. Get over it. But that's not true in this story. Mary is going to give her consent in just a few moments. As I spoke about before, those who abuse, those who use, those who do things to people without consent, that's why there's a hell. If you've ever done those things, repent. If those things have been done to you, accept Jesus' cleansing from that filth and let him heal you in Jesus' name. But this is not that. This is not coming against her free will. This is giving her the opportunity to be a vessel for God, to have a womb to reside in, to come in the flesh. So the pre-existing God, he is going to come into the flesh of Mary. Now, some people then say, well, if God comes into the womb of Mary, who's left in heaven? First of all, God is all places and all times, no matter where he wants to be, in relationship to us. God can be in relationship to us in this place and have communication with us and do that in multiple places at the same time. And yet, it doesn't take all of that philosophy to understand this. There is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. So notice this in the triune nature of God. God the Father is going to send God the Holy Spirit so that God the Son may incarnate into that flesh. Does everybody get that? So does the Father come in the flesh? No. Does the Holy Spirit come in the flesh? No. The Son comes in the flesh. Now some people have gotten confused over the years and tried to say, well, if there's God the Father, that's one. And then God the Son, that's two. And God the Holy Spirit, that's three. And then one plus one plus one equals three. So Christians, how many gods do you have? And then we say one, and they go, you can't do math. But then we tell them, we're not doing addition, we're doing multiplication. One times one times one equals one. And the reason why that is, is because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are not three different things. They are being in one being in one, persons in three. So when you're adding them together like that, it's incorrect because their being is one. But if you want to add their personalities, yes, it's three, but it's still one being of God. How do we know this is true? When God made us in the garden, it says he made us in his image, male and what? Female, he made them. So when God made humanity to reflect his image, he made two, and then he told them to be fruitful and multiply. Third is the children that come forth. Are you listening? So God is a complex being in his personality, but one in his nature. The same nature that the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. And this will be my last example for you. We all share one human nature. Look at your neighbor and say, you human, you human like me. You're human like me. Look at your other neighbor and say, I'm not sure about you. But this neighbor I know for sure is human. I don't know about you. I'm just kidding. So... We are all human. How many know we all have a human nature? But, but notice this. We're all different persons. The difference between us and God is that we as persons are not in perfect unity with each other. But when we dwell in unity, that is a reflection of God's unity. There is God the Father. 
There is God the Son. There is God the Holy Spirit. Like how we share all the same humanity, they share the same divinity, and yet there are three persons. Just like there are three different persons in your row or more, you all share the same humanity. But the example then runs into a problem because you don't know the mind of your neighbor perfectly. You don't know the mind of other humans perfectly. But in the unity of God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, sharing divinity like how we share humanity, they are in perfect union of mind, thought, and will. Can I hear an amen? All that to say the Son is going to be coming into the womb. And so turn with me quickly to Isaiah 9-6. You will see this language if you're careful when you read it, and it's already been sung today. There will be a child that is born, but there is a son that is given. Everybody say, the flesh is born, but the son is given. Do you see this in an Old Testament prophecy? And even to those who don't believe in the Christmas story, ask them to read a place, a passage like Isaiah 9-6 and ask them, who is this talking about? And more than likely, whether they're Christian or not, they'll say it's talking about Jesus. And then tell them that this came hundreds of years before Jesus. <laughs> Coincidence? I think not. This is a prophecy. This is what makes the Bible unique. It prophesies, it foretells of what is going to come. And so the language matters here. Every word inspired by God. A child is born, but the son is given. So the son has always existed. The son has always been with the father. Another scripture, please. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we learn in John 1.14, and the Word, which is another name for the Son, became flesh, 1.14 please, and made his dwelling among us. And now 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So God the Father has never been seen, but God the Son has been seen. Let me show you in the Old Testament quickly, Genesis chapter 18. Here you see the founder of the Jewish faith, Abraham. He meets with the Lord. The Lord appeared to Abraham. How many know if the Lord appears to you, you're seeing him? That's in the very definition of the word appear. It's not invisible. It's something that is appearing, something that you can see. But going back to John 1.18, what does it say? No one has ever seen God. Well, now we have a problem when we look at the Bible, when we go through the stories of the Old Testament. How are people like Abraham seeing God? How is God appearing to people like him? And yet the Bible says not only here but in multiple places, no one has ever seen God. This only can be resolved when you learn the different persons who share the same nature. No one has ever seen the Father, but they have seen the one that is called the Son, the one that is called the Son is himself what? God. So we have seen God the Son throughout the scriptures even before his incarnation. Incarnation means in flesh. How many like carne asada? That's flesh. You like to have flesh. The incarnation means he, the Son, the one who has been spiritually appearing is now going to take on flesh. Go with me now to Philippians chapter 2. Why is he going to take on flesh? Why does the son come? 
Paul says it very clearly in Philippians chapter 2 that he does this for the forgiveness of our sins. He does this because one like a human must pay the price for our sins. Philippians chapter 2, please. Nancy, would you help them in the back? Thank you. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Nancy, you back there? Please help me out. Whoever can help me out back there. Lauren, thank you. Verse 6. Who being in very nature, what? Verse 6, please. Who being in very nature, what? God. Somebody say God. Jesus is in what nature? Don't get quiet on me. Jesus is in what nature? God. Who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human what? Likeness and being found in appearance as a what? As a man, thank you, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Follow along with me, Lord. Would you help them, please? Becoming obedient even unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And that at the name of what? Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge, hallelujah, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This message that we repeat to each other throughout all generations, handing it down to our children, ought not to be taken lightly. This is our story. This is what makes us Christ followers, Christians like Christ. We believe that Christ, the anointed one, which his name means from Hebrew Mashiach, came as Jesus, Yahweh saves, Yahshua, came in the flesh. If you go now to Genesis, the book of Genesis, go there with me, chapter, chapter 22, verse 8. We share this with others to help them to understand that this has always been taught to us as Christians, even from the Old Testament. Why do you think God asked Abraham to be willing to lay down his son Isaac at an altar? How many know Isaac was his only begotten son from Sarah? There is a shadow here being told to us. And might I even say this, child sacrifice that has been done in the Mediterranean as well in Central and South America is a demonic copy of this, Satan trying to imitate it. People trying to mock the Genesis story of Abraham being asked to give up his son said, what is different between God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son on this altar, what is the difference between that and all of the other gods that ask people to sacrifice their children? Like Molech, like on Mount Picchu, uh, or Mount, what, how do you say that? Uh, Mon, Montu Picchu. There you go. Just slipped my mind. Thank you, my friend. Like, Montu Picchu it was stuck in my head. It couldn't come out. That's why I always think it's so funny when we look at these places like we go to Rome and we look at these cathedrals and we go, oh, that's so amazing. Wouldn't it have been amazing 2,000 years ago you would have been fed to lions if you weren't on the right side of their politics? Oh, I've gone to, Mount, I've gone to Machu Picchu. There we go. I've gone to Machu Picchu and look, I've got one of these, uh, one of these nice little things that they, come, they put on. What do they call those? Like a shawl. What is that called? 
poncho. Look, I got a poncho at Machu Picchu. This word is going to be the the vein of me today. Look, I got a poncho at, at Machu Picchu. Look how cool this is. A few years ago when they were running this place, it might not have been so cool you coming here as a foreigner. You and your children would have been sacrificed right about there, and then the blood would have been flowing from there. So people say, what's the difference between your God and all these other gods? Our God stayed the hand of Abraham and said, I myself will provide the lamb. God does not allow Abraham to go through with the sacrifice. But he demonstrates what it looks like. Abraham, here's your promise, child. Now offer it to me. Will you be willing to do that? Abraham is willing to do that. At the moment of the sacrifice, God stops him and says, Don't do this. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Verse 12, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son. Somebody say, Your only son. That is the same language of only begotten. That's your only one. You have not withheld him from me. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram, which is an adult lamb, caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and did what? Sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. God provided a lamb instead of his son. Jesus takes the place of every human here today and is our sacrificial lamb. Hallelujah. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Everybody say Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah meaning the name of the Lord. And then Jireh meaning provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. On Mount Golgotha, on Calvary's hill, Christ was provided. Jesus gave his life for us. Going back now to Luke chapter 1. How many are being encouraged today? Looking at the context that we've heard here today. Mary, you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high, like how Isaac was the son of Abraham. This one is the son of God. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. The first thing that we learn here is that Mary is special. The second thing that we learn here is that the son is going to come into the flesh and Mary will be the vessel. And then the third thing that we learn is that this son is going to be king forever. Now why does God need to come in the flesh to be king? Oftentimes people like Muslims and others who doubt our Christian faith but yet want to borrow some of it to give credence to their false religion will say things like, look at Islam. Islam is so much more simpler to understand. There's one God, one person of God. That's easy. And then when it comes to salvation, it's really easy. Just do more good than you do bad, and then God will judge you on that day. That's it. If you just go to the scales of judgment and you have more good than bad, you'll be led into paradise. However, if you have more more bad than good, you'll be punished. See, that's a simple understanding. And I was even talking to my Muslim friend as he was trying to convince me of that. And he said, what does Jesus dying on a cross do for anybody? Why do I need someone else to pay my debt? 
Why would that help me at all? It's my sins. It's my fault. I should be the one to pay or the one to do good to change my own life. And then I told him that he is not good enough to change one thing in his life. That the Bible says that in our sins, the moment we sin, we have degraded ourselves beyond repair. When you look at Adam and Eve, the moment they sinned, there was no way to go back and undo what they had did let alone all of the other sins that proceed. If you notice the judgment of God, the judgment of God is always righteous and true. So how do you make up for any sin by the good that you've done? You can't unring that bell as it's been said. You can't go back in time and fix it. And then when God gives sacrifice, he gives it for our cleansing and something had to die. We cheered during that time of telling the story of, of Abraham and his son being spared by the lamb. But how many thought about the lamb? Any vegans here today? <laughs> that poor little lamb, what's that lamb doing? You know, hey guys, I'm just going to go out over here by the bush and just chill today. I see Abraham, my friend, he's over there. That's how the cartoon would be. All of a sudden, he's stuck in the bush, right? Next thing you know, he's being sacrificed. We're all shouting and cheering. Everybody's missing the lamb now. Hey, have you seen, have, have you seen Bob around? No, I haven't seen him for a while. Last time I saw him, he was going up there by uh, where Abraham was. But here's the thing. It's God's creation, and God teaches us that death will come. Because of our sins, the penalty of our sin is death. Someone will pay. And when we look at the sacrifices of the Old Testament, they were but a shadow. The Bible says that it really wasn't the lamb that paid for anything. Really, the blood of these animals didn't justify anything. It was all just a shadow of Jesus Christ coming. Because without someone being perfect and our sacrifice, there's no way for us to be cleansed and forgiven. So when we look at Jesus coming to be our sacrifice, that should make sense to us from the Bible and show anyone in this world that their mouth will be closed on Judgment Day, that without Christ and his sacrifice, not one of their good works can make up for their sins. And even according to the Bible, the best works that they do are still tainted by their sin. Because the sin is still a part of what they do. In other words, if I had tar on my hands and I wanted to give my children a hug, giving my children a hug is a wonderful act. It's a kind thing. But if tar is on my hands, it will get onto them, will it not? And then if I want to shake your hand and help you, then I make you dirty. And then I'll continue to spread that filth. And that is what sin is like in our soul. That there is no way to get it off of us. And dirty hands can't cleanse dirty hands. I can't cleanse you. And you can't cleanse me. Only that which is perfect can do it. But how does this now result in him becoming a king? It would be one thing for the story to say that he's going to be the son of God, that he's going to be the one who saves. But how does the Savior become our king? This was a promise given to David. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. How many remember David in the Bible? Killing Goliath. How many know we still believe in those stories? Well, poor Goliath. No poor Goliath. Cut off his head, hold it up. Yeah, and let's go. Amen. Some of you all get scared of Bible stories, and that's all right. It's to scare the hell out of you because judgment is coming. 
Not everybody's on God's side. Amen. There's some beheadings in the Bible. Read about it. But here's the thing. As Christians, we do not force our religion on others who are known for beheading at this time. We don't do it in that way. But when it's time to fight, we'll be the best at it in Jesus' name. Here's a king. His name is David. He's a righteous warrior and he's a worshiper. And God comes to him through the prophet Nathaniel in 2 Samuel 7, 16. It says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established for how long? Forever. Somebody say forever. Thank you. This is now a promise that God makes to David. David, you're going to have an establishment of your kingdom that will never go away. Go with me to Psalm 89. Verses 1 and onward, this promise goes throughout the Bible. David, you're chosen as a king. And David, because you are a good king, you are now going to be ruling through your heritage forever and ever. Now notice what it says here. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever, and my mouth will make known your faithfulness. Through all generations, I will declare that your love stands firm forever. Somebody say forever. Does everybody get it? It's forever that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. And here's the quote that goes back to Samuel. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm throughout all generations. And everybody said, amen. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 17. Somebody say forever. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 17. For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of Israel, nor will the Levitical priests ever fail to have a man stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to bring the burnt uh, grain offerings, and to present sacrifice. Somebody say forever. Amen. Now going back to our passage, look at it there in Luke chapter 1. We see that he is going to become a king, and his kingdom will what? Never end. Highlight never end for them. His kingdom will what? Never end. Jacob's descendants will be there for how long? Forever. Highlight forever for them as well. Jacob's descendants will be there for how long? Forever. And the kingdom will what? Never end. Now understand this, my brothers and sisters. Why does Jesus take on flesh? Yes, first and foremost, to be our sacrifice, but second, to be our king. And they're actually tied together. Because he is our sacrifice, he can be our king. The reason why all the other kings failed in some way, even looking at David's life, committing an adulterous affair, causing to have the woman's husband killed, telling lies to cover it up, all humans will eventually ruin us as their king. They'll hurt us. We need a king that is perfect. We need a king that is our savior and that is not like us in our behavior, but is like us in our nature. Now notice this. Was the son king in heaven before he came to earth? Yes. So why does he need to come to earth to become a king? He doesn't. He's already a king. But do we have God as our king before Jesus coming to earth? No. See, we're separated from God's kingdom. Remember the story in the Garden of Eden. We're put out because of our sins. We're now not in God's kingdom. They say this is hell on earth. No, baby, it gets a lot worse than this, so make sure you don't go there. But we're not in God's kingdom. How many recognize that? 
Today you're not in the literal kingdom of God. That's why we're still praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we know we're outside of the kingdom. So it's not that the son had to come to be king. He was already a king. But humans like David needed a king. We needed a perfect king, someone that could care for us, to love us, and as I said before, lay down his life for us. For the same book, Isaiah, that talks about the child will be born, the son will be given, he'll be called mighty God, is the same book, Isaiah 53, that says he will be a suffering servant and lay his life down for us. So does Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 53 contradict each other? No, our mighty God is a suffering servant. The everlasting father who progenerates spiritual children is the one who bore our sufferings. Go to Isaiah 53 quickly, please. And so you and I needed a king, and that's why he comes in the flesh. He dies on the cross for our sins. And what does he do on the third day, y'all? He raises again. Hopefully that's not the next time I see you, right? You're coming back next week too, amen? You're not priesters, are you? You don't just come on Christmas and Easter, right? Okay, so you're coming next week. So when we talk about Jesus' death, burial, and what? Resurrection. Why does he resurrect as a man? He resurrects as a man so that now we can have resurrection in our flesh, be restored to the kingdom of God where Christ is king. I'm going to say that again. He's born in the flesh to die on the cross so that he might rise from the dead in that perfect resurrection of the flesh to then be our king so that we who are sinners might be born again spiritually to receive a resurrected flesh like his and then to be restored to the kingdom of God forever with King Jesus. Did you all get that? Look at Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 and onward. Once again, written hundreds of years before Jesus. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one whom we uh, people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering, yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are what? We are healed. Now open up the other tab, please, for Isaiah 9-6. Same author, same book. Isaiah 9-6. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. See, there's a government coming to the world that's going to be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no what? No end, his reign on David's throne, and he'll be on David's throne, and over his kingdom, establishing it, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on, and for how long? Forever, thank you. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Going back to our story of Mary, please. In Luke chapter 1 and onward, we see these three things. Mary is special. Number two, she's going to have a a, a divine son of God in her that's preexisted. And number three, he's going to be our suffering king. He's going to be our gentle leader. He is going to give us a kingdom because he is now going to be the king. If he doesn't do this, and I say this challenge to all other religions, if someone like us doesn't do this, how does God in his justice make everything right? How can God in his justice just wave his magical wand 
at some point in the history of humanity and go, okay, I've, I've just forgiven you guys of sins. Here's a brand new Garden of Eden. Let's start over again. That's my heaven. There's paradise. How can God do that? Would you say a judge is a good judge if he looks at a murderer and he goes, okay, it's over now. You can just go back about your day. Where's the justice? What about the thousands of people that have been killed and murdered? What about all of the, the rape? What about all of the death? What, all of this wickedness. What is God just going to go, okay, well, you guys learned your lesson now. Now let's just start over again. We know that's not right. Where's the punishment? Where's the penalty? And then second, where's the transformation for the criminal? We had a shooting just a few weeks ago where the man killed three, shot the fourth, left him in critical condition on Central there by Belmont, shot them execution style, and had already been arrested for murder and had just gotten released. No change of heart. You put a murderer in a jail cell, they're still a murderer. You let the murderer be in a jail cell for 20 years, they come out a murderer. Nothing has changed. So what does God do? Just a magic wand? Hey, okay, here's, here's another chance. No, we'll do, we'll do the same thing over again. There has to be justice for the sins we've all committed, and then there has to be a transformation of heart. How does hearts change? Well, I got an idea that God can do without sending Jesus to die. He can just say, heart be changed, and now it's changed. Okay, that's really smart. Guess what you just lost in that? Your free will. You just lost your free will. If, you, if God wanted to have robots that no one could choose good from evil, we wouldn't know good from evil. We would only know what the robot knows, which is the programming. Beep, boop, beep, boop. I love God. Hallelujah. Do you understand? God didn't create robots. God created us in his image to know good from evil. We were supposed to choose good, but we chose evil. How's that working out for us? And so when people try to mock God's plan of salvation, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians it's foolishness to them, but they don't understand that that foolishness comes and conquers all of the supposed wisdom that they have because they haven't thought through it. If the kingdom of God came and there's no transformation of hearts, we have hell on earth again. If the kingdom of God comes and there's no justice for the sin that's been done, our God is a wimp and has no power or authority. So what is the solution? One like us must be perfect and pay the penalty for what we have done so that God is righteous in giving us another chance. But then it doesn't stop there. After that justice has been served, there must be transformation of heart and soul so that a heart no longer acts the way it used to nor would want what it used to want. And so Christ is both. Christ is our Savior, the one who lays down his life for our sins. He takes the justice of God, bears the wrath of God on our behalf, and then he is not only Savior, but he is also Lord. He is our master that changes our heart and then gives us the example to look towards, to say, I want to be like him. And then in that relationship, we are changed into his image. He's the goal. The one that did what we could not do so the justice of God could be served. Now we have a transformation of behavior. That's why I'm not trying to live like Fox News, CNN, or any little rapper, little baby, whatever these rappers are. I want to live like Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to be like Jesus because the transformation comes in his image. I am conformed to his image, the image of one who lived it perfectly. Otherwise, my friends, where is the justice of God? Where is the transformation? 
That's why when I talk to my Hindu friends, they say, oh, it comes, it comes through karma. You suffer over and over again through lives and lives and endless lives until you finally get it right, and then you become perfect, your own Savior, and then you make it out. My friends, how do I work on my imperfections while I'm imperfect? That is stupid. Can a broken computer fix itself? Hello, somebody. See, the idea is, is that somehow you'll know how to do better so you can do better. My friends, you could give humans a billion lives and they'll still be sinful. Just look at you throughout the years and how many lies you've told yourself. I'll do better. I'll be better. You haven't even done it in your own life. And yet you can be good. Many of us understand this. We can be good for years. A husband can be married to his wife for 20 years and cheat one day. Wouldn't that just suck to be in a billion-year progress of karma and then one thing sent you all the way back? And that's what everyone would be like. I'm on my billionth lifetime. I've just about reached nirvana. There's a hot woman walking by. Uh-oh. I'm starting over again, boys. I will go back to being an ant. And then you ask them, how does an ant learn how to become a better human being? I mean this in all seriousness. I've been to India three times and Nepal. And you ask them these questions and they have no answers. Because for them, it sounds better to believe in the self-effort of karma than to believe in the one and done sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because in karma, they can pretend to be gurus. They can pretend to be better than you at how they're living because they can do the crooked chicken and walk on rice paper, etc. But you see, this makes all of us humble ourselves and say, I can't, but he can. I'm a sinner, but he's a saint, and I need him to be my savior. That's the humility of Christianity. The humility of Christianity says it can't be done without him. It's impossible. There is no other way. And that's why Jesus, if you remember, when he's at uh, Gethsemane and he's praying, even stressing out with drops of blood, he says to his father, if there's another way, let me know. Of course there's not, but he has to plead as a human because he knows what we know. Death is going to be painful. He's going to experience rejection. So him in the flesh, now feeling what we feel, says to the father, if there's another way, please do it. Give it to me. But nevertheless... Not my will, but your will be done. Amen? And so he's our king. And brothers or sisters, we're going to meet him one day. And we're all going to bow our knees and confess him to be our king. But I pray you do it today. Reading on now quickly for the rest of the, the sermon. I won't be that much longer. Thank you for your patience. Christ is born. Christ is king. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledge to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. See how it's fulfilling there? The descendant of who? David. See, a descendant of David. The king is going to come. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. She's not some perfect person in the sense that's never made a mistake, been born of a virgin that's going to need to ascend to heaven herself. She's just a holy, awesome woman of God. But she shouldn't be disrespected. She shouldn't be looked at as normal to this culture. She's an outstanding person. Mary's greatly troubled at his words, wonder what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called what? 
Son of God. Somebody say the Son of God. The one born of you will become the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. That's a natural birth. And she who was unable to conceive is, to going, is in her sixth month, for no word of the Lord will ever fail. Now here comes Mary's consent in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. There is no spiritual or divine rape here. Can I hear an amen? She says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. How many are glad to see consent in the story? I was listening literally to a, a podcast the other day, and intelligent people said that was spiritual rape. And I'm thinking to myself, you haven't even read the Bible. It literally says she consents. What do you want her to say? I consent like in your words. She literally said, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That's why she's a hero to me, and she should be an example to all the people here in Jesus' name. Now notice this. She sings a song in verse 46. Somebody say Mary's song. And this is where I want to conclude today. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You see how she understood she needed a Savior? If she didn't sin, would she need a Savior? People who are sinless don't need Saviors, right? That's why when I talk to people and they say I'm good, I go, are you sure? Hey, man, you got time to talk about Jesus? No, I'm good. Are you sure about that? Let me ask you how good you really are. Have you ever told a lie? You ever taken something that doesn't belong to you? You ever disobeyed your parents? Ever coveted after what somebody else had? Ever lusted in your heart? Ever put something before God? Ever took his name in vain? That's just a few of the Ten Commandments. You still good? No, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that all included Mary. Mary had sinned. She wasn't like the sinners of her day. She was made righteous by her repentance and going to the temple sacrifice. So she needed a Savior. But she calls out to God, says, I rejoice in you, my God, my Savior, for he's been mindful of me and the humble state of his servant. To me, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Nothing wrong with you who have the finances and the means to be generous. But I think it's absolutely ridiculous that we say as Christians, we're honoring our Lord and Savior's birth with all of this fanfare when he was born in a humble stable in a manger. How opposite could you be? Jesus was not born in Macy's. He was born in a manger. So why are we trying to celebrate in a Macy's? It's okay if you have it. It helps the economy. I'm not trying to be bah humbug with you today. I'm just trying to ask you to look at what Mary was saying. God is about the humble. God is about those who humble themselves and know who they are. They don't try to earn their reputation through what they buy and sell or who they are in the, in the world today. They know their value comes from Jesus Christ and being his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. You see, we bless what she did, and we call her blessed. This is a fulfillment of that prophecy. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Notice that language. Highlight it there, brothers and sisters, before you go, because some of you, you love sweet baby Jesus. You like Talladega Nights. Oh, I pray, sweet baby Jesus. Help me and my buddy win this race today, sweet baby Jesus. Some of you, you think of Jesus like that. Do you fear him, though? How many know if I said, hey, we're going to do some uh, UFC fighting with Brock Lesnar in the back uh, of the church parking lot today, how many know that's going to put the fear of God in you? 
Hey, man, you guys are going to face Khabib. You guys want to do that? Let's go in the back. You all going to face Khabib. Bare knuckle fight with Khabib. Let's go. Let's go put the fear of God in you. And yet we don't have the fear of the Lord in this generation. We take his name in vain. We break his commandments. We mock him in our media and on our music. Rap stars try to pretend like they're Satanists, whether they are or not. I have no idea, like Travis Scott and others. God have mercy. Look at what this blessed woman taught us. She said, mercy extends to those who fear him. To those who fear him who tremble at his presence, who understand he may be my father, he may be my God, but he's also a king and he's also a lion. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. I want everybody to get this. Everybody to get this before you go. Do you know that the proud are being judged right now in their thoughts? You are a part of a generation that thinks it's better to cut up a woman's or man's body to go along with what they're thinking in their head than to change their mind and keep their body. Do you all understand that? Well, I think I'm a lion. Okay, well, let's change your whole body to look like a lion. That's what they're doing now. Well, I think I'm a snake. You ever seen the one with the guy with the, the serpent tongue? I think I'm a snake. So they put these things, they shave their head, they put these body modifications in them. We are living in a world that says it's better to devalue the image of God and go along with your imaginations than to change your thoughts to the mind of God. I'm not saying we're going to pray the gay away, but I'm saying Jesus can take the gay away. I'm not saying that we're going to give you 12 steps and everything's going to be all right, but I will tell you about one step to Jesus that will change your life. I'm not going to make an easy promise to you so that you can walk out these doors and say, well, I tried it and it doesn't work. You're a liar. You didn't try what I'm telling you. Fear God and watch how he'll change your life. Come before him and ask him for mercy and watch what he'll do. Humble your thoughts to the thoughts of God. Let him remove the virus of your mind until your mind is on the thoughts of Christ. And see what he'll do. Because I've watched him transform so many lives in this place. And the beautiful testimonies are what reminds me of why I'm here today as a pastor. Because God indeed changes lives. He's kept this promise that he made to Mary through Jesus Christ. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. There was a woman who just passed away who was starting a spa for obese women. She was upwards of 800 pounds. Then she got down to 400 and she died, I believe, of a heart attack because they say if you talk about people and their weight now that you're fat shaming. This is how ridiculous people's minds have gotten. Don't judge me. I'm 800 pounds, but we don't want you to die. Don't judge me. I do drugs, but we don't want you to lose your mind. Don't judge me. I want to be a boy even though I'm a girl. Well, that's not how God made you. Well, don't judge me. I want to sleep around. This is, you know, this is how I, no, you're going to, you're going to lose your soul in every bed you sleep. And no, 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 don't judge me. Their inmost thoughts are now scattered. Have you read that scripture? He has scattered. How many people are on psychotropic drugs in this generation? He has scattered. Those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Well, I, I just, I just, I'm just not at peace anymore in my mind. Counselor, would you help me? Yeah, try this drug. Well, I tried it and it's still not working. Well, would you try this one? People now go to counselors like they used to go to church. How's that working for you? Hello? Now, most churches don't do any better than the counselor. But how many know if you have the word of God, it will change your thoughts? 
Now notice this verse 52. He has brought down rulers. This is Mary talking. That's what I'm saying. You can't just treat her like Jenny from around the block. This is Mary talking right here. She's like a prophet to us. People ask, are there prophetesses, female prophets in the Bible? Yes, indeed. Here's one right now. You listening to her? Listen to what Mary said. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. I can just see Jesus going to kings going, come down from there. You come up here now. Do you get that imagery? Get down. You don't belong on that throne. One of my humble servants come. The power of our God. No, that was an illustration, brother. Thank you. He's ready to go. (laughs) I wish I had something for you to rule up here, but unless we're pretending there's a throne, I mean, you'd just be standing there. But thank you, my brother. Somebody... Your wife needs to hook you up today. Make a throne for you in your house. I just get that imagery. Come down, you wicked spirits. You liars. You false religions. Come down. And then he says to the humble, come up. The proud are brought down. Those on thrones are brought down. Just as much as Biden will go down, Trump will go down. Just as much as China will go down, America will go down. All of these thrones, all of these powers, all of these religions will go down. And Jesus will take the humble and raise them up with him. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. You know why this puts the fear of God in me? Because according to the world standards, we're all rich today. I wish I could do live feeds from around the world and Christmas services in Nigeria, the Philippines, Malaysia, Vietnam, the Middle East, different parts of Central America today. You would see how rich you are. And so what is my concern? Even for me, because I have more than a few clothes on. I remember I was preaching in India, and uh, we were paying for the pastors to come back and forth on the buses to the Crusades. And then I said, hey, why don't we just get them to come and stay with us? And, uh, that, you know, they can go back and get their things. And, and I, I talked to the pastor, and he said, uh, oh, you know what? They don't even need to go back. They're good. I said, we're, we're going to be here for about three days. We're good. I watch these humble pastors in India wear the same thing for three days, sleep in it and do everything. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I'd have no idea how good I have it in America. These guys, I said, where are we going to get them to stay? Well, they'll sleep all over the floor. Didn't even have pillows, didn't even have a blanket. They were just like, man, we'll just sleep right here. We're good. It's fine. We'll sleep right here. And then I remember going to their villages, these dear Christians, into their villages and preaching for them. And the Lord began to tell me, I want you to wash their feet. In the village, I want you to wash their feet. So I would show up to this village and I would say, someone, can you please get me a bucket of water? And I would go down and start washing their feet. And they always had the same response. No, 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 you can't do that. No, you can't do that. But then I would wash their feet because that's what Jesus did for us. You see, he uplifts the poor. He uplifts the needy. My friends in America today, we are blessed because we have had God's principles here. But please do not let the blessings take you away from Christ because the Bible is very clear. The rich will go away empty. That's why when I talk to people, when we go downtown and we preach the gospel, they say, well, you know, I've tried it and it doesn't work. Yeah, but have you really? Have you tried it like how they have in other countries? Have you fasted for 40 days and then said, I didn't hear from God? 
Did you go to church seven days in a row, pray for three hours? Did you read the Bible frontwards and back? Or did you just go to your app and search a Bible verse and say, nah, I don't feel it, and go back to the adrenaline rush of Instagram? Dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. Oh, this Bible doesn't do it for me, dude. It's pretty lame. Going back to video games. God is going to judge this generation for the distractions that it has made as idols. Yeah, we may not have Zeus and Hercules, but we have sports, we have entertainment, we have our jobs, we have our fashion. And here, Mary today, those who get fed are hungry. They get hungry in their soul. And they say, you know what, God, I thank you for this job. I thank you for my family, but it doesn't satisfy. And if I'll be honest with you, Lord, if you don't show up today, I don't have anything worth living for. Would you show me that I'm more than a mother? Would you show me that I'm more than just a father? Would you show me that I'm more than just a collector of a paycheck? And fill my soul with the heart that you've given me through Jesus. Give me a heart of love. Give me a heart of power that helps me to overcome every temptation. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm not satisfied with little baby Jesus. I must have the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm not satisfied with one day out of the year where I pretend to honor him. I have to honor him before I throw that, before I lift that hammer and put it down on a nail. I have to honor him before I get on that bus and deal with customers again. I have to put him first in all that I do because I'm hungry for him. The Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Lord, I pray that we'll become hungry and thirsty in this place for the righteousness of God again. That we'll hunger and thirst for the violence to end from our streets. Lord, that we'll see you come again to our schools and to our government. That we'll see the proud brought low, God, first in salvation before judgment comes. And that we'll see revival sweep this land. In Jesus' name, I had to pray. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants. For how long? For how long? How long is he our king? How long does he help the descendants of Abraham? Forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Could you imagine living before the time of Jesus? Could you imagine during the hundreds of years you have prophecies but you don't see him come could you imagine being under the Assyrians under the Babylonians under then the Greeks and then the Romans and to be oppressed and then to wonder where is my God and then all of a sudden there's a young lady named Mary telling a story that would be hard to believe unless it was true She's not covering up a one-night stand, and it's not spiritual rape. It's a young lady being chosen by God so that Christ might be born. Could you imagine now what that would be like? That's why when you see people in the story of Jesus, they're literally freaking out. They're in awe. This is the one. That, yeah, this is the one. Magi, wise men coming from Babylon. You know why they're coming from Babylon? Because uh, Daniel used to be in Babylon. In the lion's den, you all remember that story? Here these people remember the story of these Jewish men. There used to be Jewish men that taught us from their scriptures that 400 years from the time they were with us, it's marked in Daniel, 400 years, that their Messiah would be born. And so you could see these wise men, you know, under the candlelight of their 
castles and with their emperors wanting them to do other tasks, but making time on the side to search out the dates and time. And then they see this star and they travel long distances to show up to meet Jesus. And when they come, they bring that frankincense and myrrh. They bring the wealth of their day and bow before him and claim him to be their king. Can you imagine what it would be like to be Peter, a fisherman, to out fishing? You've heard stories from your daddy's daddy, 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 all the way back that one day, yeah, the Messiah will come and change everything. I've heard it before. But then all of a sudden, you've got somebody standing at your dock saying, Peter, me? Yeah, you, Peter, come follow me. You sure you want me? You sure you want me, Jesus? I have a bad temper. I'm not always easy to get along with. Yeah, I want you. I want your brother. Go get John. Go get Philip. Can you imagine what it was like to see God on earth? Walking with Jesus. Talking with Jesus. He's just like one of us. And yet, his origins are of old. Sometimes we think God would be so weird. He would be like somebody from one of these, you know, Marvel comics where he's like a big goo that shoots off energy. And if you get all of his rings, you can do something powerful. I know I mixed a lot of them together, but you get my point. He makes all of these weird things, but he's a, he's a mindless, faceless, emotionless force. That's where we all came from. Some goo exploded. No, we come from a God who made us in his image to experience life and to know him in this life. And so Jesus is with us. He's showing us the heart of God. And what do we do with him? We crucify him. And it was at that moment that the enemy, Satan, thought he won. Look, here's the Messiah. We got him. We killed him. But it was the very death that Satan thought defeated him. Actually, uh, that was Satan thinking he defeated Jesus. Actually, by that death, defeated Satan. Because as he was dying, the heel of Jesus was coming upon the serpent's head, as was prophesied to Eve many, many years earlier, that he will crush the serpent as the serpent gives out his last sting. You ever killed a bee as it was stinging you? It was like that kamikaze bee gave his life for that last sting. And then the bee just falls. Are you guys tracking with me? Satan gives his last sting to Jesus, and then Jesus squashes him. He's my king. He's now raised. He's in heaven. And he's asked us in these last days not to grow weary, brothers and sisters, not to tell these stories like they're myths. Hopefully you have some fact today to go back and check people with their attitudes and their blasphemy in love, obviously, but show them that our God is a person of history that Jesus came in the flesh. He was lived, he lived a perfect life, sinless, died for me, rose again. And now in heaven, he's waiting to come back. And what is that last thing that he's waiting for? He's waiting for us, his servants, to go spread that message around the world so that why his kingdom may be full. That's it. That the kingdom of God may be full. God wants our children's children's children, should he tarry, to be in that kingdom. God wants Chicago to be in that kingdom. But he wants it to be his way, not our way. Amen?
It can't be done just in religion. Well, if we get all the pastors together and we hold hands and sing a song, wave a banner, and then shout really loud, then we get to see the kingdom God come. You'd be amazed at how superstitious some pastors are to how they think the kingdom of God is going to come. We're going to hop on one leg, go to a prayer breakfast, and then we're all going to read the same book, and then we're going to march around the city, and then, and then the devil's going to leave. No, it's not how it works. You know how it works? Keeping his commands. That's it. It doesn't matter how many times you march around your house saying this is God's house. Divorce will not leave your house. Perversion will not leave your house unless you guard your heart and keep the commands of God. That's why many of you have known religious people, they get divorces, just like the world. You've known religious people, they, they have cheated on their wives. They've looked at pornography. They steal. They do all Yes, because anyone who breaks God's commands will live like a sinner. But those who keep God's commands will see the blessing of God come on their life. And I wish that it could be epic, even as my brother was willing to come and take his seat on the throne and to rule and reign with Christ. As the Bible says, he's prepared thrones for his disciples. He sits on the main one, and we become the, 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 the rulers with him. The Bible talks about becoming kings and priests. But listen, it's not as romantic or as epic as we see in these battle movies where we pull out our sword, we fight to death, and then we rule as kings. What it looks like is every day making the right choice when you're in traffic to not flipping people off, getting angry, and trying to, to treat, your neighbor, uh, treat your enemy the way they treat you. It happens in everyday life with your spouse that you treat them as Christ as a church and you love them and you serve them. Children, it happens every day when you go to school. I know you want to live out Lord of the Rings or some fantasy, but listen, it happens every day when you choose to hold on to the mindset of God. I will not allow Babylon to get in my heart. My heart belongs to Jerusalem. Amen? I come from Zion, not Babylon. I belong to the Lord. I may be a stranger in a strange land. People may mock me and make fun of me. I may be the minority where I'm at, but I will hold the blood-stained banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this generation. And young people, even if Jesus doesn't come back while we're alive, you pass that on from generation to generation, and you keep the things of God. Because he's a king forever, and he wants his kingdom to be filled. Amen? He was born, and now he's king. If you believe it, would you stand up with me? Give it up for Jesus. God bless you. Brothers and sisters, would you stand up with me? Altar workers band, would you come? Thank you for your time. Let's pray in closing. Make the word applicable to your heart as I do now. I've preached first to me. Pray with me. Father, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus, Father. I want the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you're here today and you're not yet born again, ask him to forgive you right now of your sins and to be made a new creation. He loved you so much that he came to die on a cross so he could be your king and that you could be in his kingdom. Brother or sister, right now, if you don't know him yet, right now, just say, Jesus, come into my heart. I want you. Those who are already Christians, ask the Lord right now to use you for his kingdom. Aren't you happy for Christmas? You had some good food. You're going to have more. You gave some gifts out, right? But right now, it's about his kingdom. These are just little things that we do while we're waiting for the kingdom. Jobs, houses, land, vacations. These are just temporary things we're doing as we're passing through. The Bible says we're strangers in a strange land. A few moments, Christians, ask the Lord to use you for his kingdom. We'll dismiss in just a few moments. Anyone who wants prayer can come up to these prayer workers even now. They'll pray salvation with you, healing for you. Anything they can do to help you as a brother or sister. 
But before we go, a few more moments in prayer. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that every sinner will become a saint as they repent of their sins. As justice was served to your son Jesus, they will not resist it, but they'll accept him as their savior. Just a few more moments. Listen to me. If you don't accept Jesus as your savior, you're going to stand before that judge based on your own behavior. And here's the standard. One sin, you're going to hell. Are you ready for it? There is no making up of a sin. It's already been done. Therefore, will it be forgiven by the blood of Jesus, the perfect son of God? Or will you face the punishment of that sin and every other one? Make him your king. few moments today. Those who are backsliders, you say, man, I've known Jesus and I knew all this before, but I'm not living like you better make it right today. Fear God. Mary said it. Fear God. If you want mercy, fear the Lord, brother or sister few moments somebody should be crying out for mercy you know what you've done you know who you are behind closed doors you know the thoughts of your mind and how wicked they have been don't be a backslider here today slide back to Jesus don't walk out of here the same way you came serve Jesus Mary warns you it will not go good for you on judgment day well, I got a job. I'm doing pretty good, Pastor. People tell me this all the time as those who are coming for prayer. I'm just going to preach and pray a little bit here as we get ready to close. People tell me all the time, well, I haven't seen them in church. They go, well, I've been okay. I've been, you know, I got my job and I've been taking care of my kids. Listen to me, you filthy sinner. You have nothing of righteousness in any of those things you just said. Well, I take care of my family. Have you told them about God and set God first? If you haven't, you've made your family an idol. An idol. You're a wicked idolater. God gave you a family, and yet you don't bring that family to church. What is wrong with you? You didn't make that family. God made families. Honor God. Well, I got a job. You know, I've been kind of busy. That job will be ripped away from you on judgment day and given to someone in the kingdom. A few moments right now, I'm just pleading with you. On a Christmas service, please, Blacksider, for your own soul's sake, do not leave out of here thinking you're a good person and you're not putting God first in your life. King Jesus is going to set you straight. But come to Savior Jesus right now first. Before he judges, he's asking you, do you want to be saved? Father, I pray for everyone to be saved. No one to remain the same. In the name of Jesus, may salvation come to every house. Even family members not represented here, may it come to them. To those who chose to stay home today, may it come to them. Everywhere we go this week, may salvation come. A few more moments right now. Jesus, forgive. Jesus, save. Do not be embarrassed, my friends. Jesus loves you, loved you enough to die for you, hung on a cross for you. You can come up and get prayer. Father, I pray for transformation. Whatever's being prayed for up here today, you see it, you know it. I pray from the inside out, new life will come. Yes, Lord. Brothers or sisters, would you pray for this generation with me right now before we go, that they'll accept King Jesus. The Bible says he wishes none would perish. God doesn't want this city to perish, but he will judge it if they don't repent. God doesn't want our schools to perish, but he will judge them if they don't repent. Pray for them right now. Pray for him. Pray for the gangs. Pray for the corruption to end. This is how it starts. In the name of Jesus, I pray for Chicago to be saved. I pray from the north side to the south side, east and west, every suburb area, every place downtown. God, we ask for you to capture our hearts again, for you to become real in all that we do. Lord, I pray you will spread across this nation and the nations of the world today. While time is here, 
while we still have the opportunity, we repent. We repent. So our last prayer before we dismiss and then we'll worship. Father, I ask anyone here today that has the fear of man but not the fear of God that you take it out of their heart. In the name of Jesus. Some of you, you fear what living for God will look like with your friends. Oh, if I live for God, then my friends are going to say this. Oh, if I live for God, my, the girlfriend I live with is going to say this. Or somebody I know, listen to me, my friend. Fear God, don't fear man. He loves you enough to give you repentance. Do not push repentance away from you so you can have the popularity of your friend. Well, you know, we've been living together and we're okay. And I, you know, I don't know what I'll do without that person. Man, do not do that. Do not do that today. God is better in your life than any relationship or anything you would think that you need that keeps you from him. Father, I pray for the proud to be brought low and for the low to be lifted up. In the name of Jesus. I pray this week, Lord, as we prepare for a new year, that we'll live out a new life, that you'll empower us to live out your commands, and that we'll please you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thank you.